0: Follow me. Those were the key words out of the text that Tony read uh, just a moment ago. Those are the words that Jesus said to four fishermen by a standing by a sea in the first century. And then the text says, His comment was to them, "I will make you fishers of men." And so with that call, Jesus was summoning them, those four fishermen, that is, to abandon pretty much everything. It was a call to leave behind ambitions, dreams, possessions, professions, family, friends, security. Jesus said, leave it all behind. And I can't help but notice the contrast between His message and today's message. The message of our culture is so different than this whole idea of denying oneself, taking up one's cross, and following Jesus. Because the message of our culture is to promote yourself please yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, indulge yourself, satisfy yourself, everything focusing around yourself, and yet we know this from the reading of our New Testament that consistently Jesus said, if, if somebody's going to come after me, if they're going to follow me, he must, what? Deny himself. That is not the language of our culture today. And according to Scripture and according to tradition, Those four fishermen did just that. They denied themselves, and they followed Jesus. And we also know from tradition, from history, that they paid a very severe, a very steep price for doing so. We're aware of the fact, for example, that Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified in Greece. James was beheaded, and John was Exiled, And yet, each of the four of those fishermen who responded to the call of Jesus were convinced that total abandonment to Jesus Christ was absolutely worth the cost. Because in Jesus Christ, they found someone who was worth losing absolutely everything for. Think about that for a moment. That Jesus Christ, in the minds of those four fishermen was one who was worth losing everything for folks I believe wholeheartedly from the absolute core of my being that if we grasp clearly what Jesus meant when he said those simple and very brief words follow me if we really do grasp that we will discover that there is far more pleasure to be experienced in him there is indescribably more power to be realized with him and there is a much higher purpose to be accomplished for him than absolutely anything this world could offer even if we had three or four lifetimes nothing will ever change that conviction about me that is the primary reason That when Jeff called me earlier in the week and knew that uh, the pattern of his sickness would be such that he wouldn't have a lot in the tank for today in terms of energy and asked if I would preach, that was the primary reason that I chose this topic of following Jesus. But a second actually relates to the man of whom I've just spoke because I was very much, like I'm sure many of you, captivated when Pastor Jeff dealt with the parallel passage to this one out of Matthew the call of those fishermen as recorded in Mark's Gospel. As you well know, we've been working through a series in that Gospel. Not only was I captivated by what he said about the seriousness of that call, but he even had the gall, this pastor of ours, to put in a couple of very convicting questions in the discussion notes for our life groups. Uh, Questions that are a lot harder and more convicting to answer than, isn't it, Is it Samuel L. Jackson that does the uh, what's in your wallet? (laughs) That one can be convicting as well, but the the two questions that particularly stood out to me and we shared as a group is, what have you given up to follow Jesus? There's a a light. That was not the icebreaker, at least, for the evening. started a little bit lighter than that. But what have you given up to follow Jesus? There was a second question in follow-up to that. What might the Lord be calling you to give up right now that kind of gets you away from well in the future i'm going to do something great for god so that was a second reason to uh, tackle this subject the final reason for addressing the topic is that if uh, you were with us last sunday following the service we had our annual congregational meeting one of the actions that we uh, took as a church body was to um, affirm and to accept amendments to our church constitution and bylaws in so doing it meant that we agreed as a church family that our mission statement would contain merely four words but those are four very important words particularly as we think about today's text those words are helping people follow Jesus so if we as Bethany Church have said, you know, basically, the way we understand it from Scripture, the reason we exist, the mission that we are accepting in being a church, being labeled as followers of Jesus Christ, is to help people follow Jesus, we probably better have a pretty good handle on what it means to follow Jesus. And certainly we're going to have to have a handle on that because if I'm not doing the following of Jesus too well, I'm probably not going to be helping somebody else follow him very well at all either. So on this Sunday in which we're doing a temporary pause in the study of Mark's Gospel, I'm choosing to address this whole topic of helping people follow Jesus. And my hope is that the clear that we can bring into focus this picture of what it means to truly and obediently follow Jesus, that each of us who identify with Bethany Church, each of us who are family members here, Will eagerly, willingly, gladly lose our lives for Christ so that we might know and proclaim Him. Because is that not the essence, as you understand it, of what it means to follow Jesus? If that is, I may not be able to add a lot today. It's really a matter, all right, we got this picture. I'm hopeful that if we really listen to the text carefully and I don't mess up what Jesus said there we might have an even clearer picture and thus be more effective as we move forward to fulfill our mission as a church. Well, now let's concentrate our attention on Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. In so doing, please note that in the original language, the term that Jesus used in verse 19 to actually call Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that call to follow them is a different term than the term that is used to describe their decision as fishermen to actually follow Jesus. You say, wait a minute, I just read a moment ago, and I see the same word follow. Yes, in the English language, that is the case. Not in the original language of the New Testament. And that's not a problem. That's not a problem, let me assure you of that. Christ's call literally means that we're to come after him. To come after him. The essence of that call involves the direction of our life. Each of us gets to choose what direction am I going to have my life follow? And Jesus says, Man, I got a great idea for you. Come after me. Here's a direction to follow, here's a direction to give your life to. Now, the term that characterized the fisherman's response to Christ's call to follow him. It was filled with additional meaning. It was actually a technical word, even though, as I describe it, you're going to say that doesn't sound too technical, but trust me, I just want to prove I did some homework here to get ready for this today. It was a technical word that was used of individuals in that day who were known by their family, friends, acquaintances as, quote-unquote, followers. You're saying, all right, I, I think I see a consistency with the text that's there. According to linguistic Uh, scholars, it reflected two basic shades of meaning. And this is where we have some slides for you, and if you want to scribble a note or two, this could be helpful. First, the first shade of meaning was that a follower is one who had a growing and a deepening relationship to the individual, to that person that he or she was following. In other words, when that term was applied to somebody, followers, it described people that didn't necessarily think of their following as a task or a duty or a responsibility. I mean, they did think of that, but not primarily. What they primarily thought of is that it was above everything else a relationship to and with that person that I'm choosing to follow or to imitate. Matter of fact, the New Testament word following involves identifying so very closely with the individual that is being followed that that relationship that I have with that individual becomes the dominant or the preeminent quality of my life following Christ in other words means giving him the highest priority as the supreme relationship out of, of my life out of which every other relationship can be defined and directed. It's central. There's nothing else and no one else that compares for that position of preeminence in my life. That's the New Testament concept of followership. Now there's a second shade of meaning in addition to relationship. And that's that a true follower just sticking with the term out of the original language a true followers in the process of radical reformation why because the one being followed is having so much influence on the one who is doing the following he's involved in a task this Jesus is the one that we follow he's involved in a task of dramatically changing both our character and our conduct because he knows the importance of us not remaining as we are when we initially choose to follow him so I've used the word Reformation because it starts with an R we could use the word and relationship does too but it's truly it's transformation to be honest with you followers become imitators of the one they are following we're able to recognize a follower because we're going wait a second he or she talks like and behaves like the one over here that they're following I'm seeing a very close relationship I see some imitating that is going on significantly the word translated followed in verses 20 and 22 that now is describing the response to Christ's call, the response of following on the part of the disciples, that word actually comes from a root word that means path. It leads to the understanding then at the time of Christ, one who chose to be a follower chose to go on that same path, that same road as the mentor, the leader, the one that he or she wanted to follow. So the word path, road. Is crucial there. A follower was one who was committing to imitate the one that he followed. And so, as these four fishermen, as recorded in Matthew 4, made that decision and their response of following Jesus' call, as they got onto that path and were following Jesus Christ, he absolutely, we know, don't we, from Scripture, he transformed their thoughts, uh, their values. Probably their speech, uh, their relationships, and ultimately, their purpose for living. Now, how many of you here, as we take the next step on this, and kind of see what happened as a result of their following? How many of you are familiar with the name Paul Harvey? Thanks for admitting you're as old as I am and perhaps older. I believe his expression, correct me if wrong, a little audience participation, was, and now for the rest of the story, Right? The rest of the story at least was in the key. Well, let's follow a little bit of the summarized version. We won't be going through all, of the, all, all the chapters of all the Gospels and following into the epistles, but the rest of the story for these disciples. Following Christ's resurrection, he gathered his disciples on a mountainside, you recall that, and he commanded them to make disciples, make followers of all peoples. Shortly after Christ's ascension, these same fishermen gathered with over a hundred other followers of Jesus Christ. While they were together, they received something pretty important to carry out the mission. What was that? The Holy Spirit. So now they had the power, the direction by which they could fulfill the very, um, well, obedience to the call that they had accepted. They began to proclaim the gospel gospel and as we read the account we realize then they went from house to house they went into marketplaces and shops they went along streets and travel routes proclaiming jesus christ announcing the message of the gospel of jesus christ and they were seeing people come to jesus christ trust in jesus christ on a daily basis so that within one generation they grew over 400 times the size they were when they started. And Even though these individuals that went out obediently responding to the call to follow Jesus, these individuals faced untold trials. They faced unthinkable persecution. But even though that was true, they experienced unimagined joy as they walked along the path with Jesus, as they followed Him faithfully for the advancement of His kingdom. Questions for you. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a group that believes that we have, as Christians, the Spirit of God in each of us for the advancement of the gospel through all of us. Tell me, it wouldn't be exciting to be a part of a group that just grabbed hold of that. Wouldn't it be exciting? And wouldn't you like to be a part of a group that gladly sacrifices the pleasures, the pursuits, the uh, possessions of this present life because we are so eagerly looking forward to treasure that we know is coming in the next world? in our life after life on this planet. Wouldn't it be exciting to be a part of a group that just is so bought into that? Wouldn't you like to be a part of a group whose greatest ambition in life on this planet is to honor God by the highest possible level of obedience to his commission of helping people follow Jesus? And so the follow-up question, sort of setting you up, Why should we who collectively make up Bethany Church not be that group? Trusting, I don't see any hands uh, raised on that one. I will say this, I have no good answer for it, and uh, I'm going to believe that you do not either. Uh, I don't think there is a good answer. However, I am aware of what can keep us from becoming that group more and more and more, as we're sitting under a consistent declaration of God's word week in, week out, and as we gather in in fellowship, as we as we join in praise and worship together under David's guidance and our, our worship teams, and we're just trying to consistently offer that worship before the Lord. I, I want to uh, kind of uh, approach this, and this is where we'll finish up today. What are the things? What are the hindrances? What are the obstacles, what are the barriers that stand in our way of becoming more and more like that very group that I was describing a moment ago? What are the things that could possibly keep us from effectively fulfilling the mission of helping people follow Jesus? And I'll approach it by asking you by well, all, all kinds of questions for you today. Uh, what would you identify as the one thing that stood between these four fishermen that we read about in Matthew 4 And following Jesus what what would it be that would stand between them and that obedience another way of putting it what symbolized the barrier to their decision to unconditionally follow Jesus Christ and the answer would be this it was their nets their nets look on your notes once again if you want to fill in a couple blanks I find great fulfillment when I can fill in blanks so I'm not getting that fulfillment today I pass that off to you hey if they were to follow Jesus Christ they would have to drop their nets there couldn't be the response of following to the call to follow if they were unwilling to drop their nets continuing to cling to their nets and all that those nets represented uh, a measure of security uh, a profession that they're very familiar with I think there was plenty of profit profitability in their particular profession as well uh, so boy the income factor familiar surroundings familiar schedules but to cling to the nets and all those nets represented meant that there would be a denial of the call upon their lives and that's what makes what happened next in the story so absolutely dramatic and we see it kind of happen twice because two different fishermen responding at a time, it says they immediately left their nets and followed him. What is a net? Let's get that clarified. A net is anything that inhibits or prohibits our non negotiated commitment to follow Christ. A net is anything that inhibits or prohibits our non-negotiated commitment to follow Christ. All right, what are some examples of nets that entangle our lives? And because those nets entangle our, our lives, they limit our ability to follow Christ. Uh, first one, I'm going to mention several, and there's going to be a lot more that we wouldn't even have time to get to, and probably more than I'm even aware of. But the first one is People. People. As you're sitting here today and as you reflect, it may be that you are aware of some friends at school perhaps, or friends in the community or an organization that you might belong to, neighbors, um, teammates, co-workers, folks that are close to us or at least we spend a lot of time around, but they live, walk, and play in paths that are contrary to the way to the path of Jesus Christ. And as a result, when you think about it honestly, you realize that they are actually weakening uh, your determination, your resolve to follow Jesus Christ at the level of obedience that he very much deserves. Perhaps their influence upon your life, and you're willing to admit it before the Lord this morning, That influence has resulted in compromising your morals and your values as you pursue what is outside the boundaries of God's will, thinking that somehow, even though it's outside the boundaries of His will, there is a way I'm going to get benefit from this. There's a way I'm going to get fulfillment. There's a way I'm going to get satisfaction from this. And you will for a very short term and with a very high price that will be paid. That's the way it works for you. and I. Another net is possessions. Things in which we find significance or sufficiency or satisfaction apart from Christ. That's a key word there, apart from Christ. For any one of us, it could be a career. It could be a certain level of income that I'm determined to achieve. It could be a rank. It could be a a rare collection. It could be a wardrobe, it could be a membership, it could be a boom, 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 long list. The question then is because most of these things, in and of themselves, at least, let me look at that list again. Yeah, I'd say most of those don't need to be a problem whatsoever. And so the question is how tightly are you holding on to that possession, that thing, that pursuit? Uh, how tightly are you holding on to any of those things that if not held loosely enough can actually entangle you and even enslave you people possessions perhaps the net that for you today as you reflect on it is hardest to drop would be plans once again God's on the side of planning. I, there's a lot of Scripture that goes with that. Um, and I, Because I tend to be a planner, I don't just camp on those verses that support the way I'm oriented. No, it's, it's really there in biblical revelation. And so it, it can be a very good thing to have plans for family, for retirement, um, for giving, for vacation, for career advancement, on and on and on. It can be very good, can be very wholesome, but what happens... When Christ interrupts with a different plan, what if he allows there to be financial reversal? What about a serious illness? What about a traumatic event? What about a change of careers? What about a what about? When Christ's plans conflict with yours, are you willing to drop yours? Another one I would mention is money. Even though it does not start with a a P. Money. This probably universally throughout our church family, throughout any body of believers. Probably the one we wrestle with the most. Either the most frequently or the most deeply. Or both. Often rather than asking do we have enough, the question we ask is, Do we have enough to fulfill and accomplish and achieve all of the things that are on our wish list? Usually the answer to the second question is no. So we go about doing what we must to accomplish that. Many of us are concerned that if if we give ourselves fully to following Jesus Christ, he'll threaten our bank account. Well, let me dispel any question you might have about that by saying, there's a high degree of likelihood that if you really want to f- follow Jesus closely, he will mess with you as it relates to the ba- bank account, your thoughts about that, your feelings about that, and what kind of a priority. That's part of his change. That's part of him developing us more and more into uh, to folks that incredibly reflect Jesus Christ. But I think each of us probably has no difficulty grasping why money is such a strategic net because when we're able to drop that one it's amazing how much easier more manageable the dropping of the other nets become that all that's kind of the one all right that block is out of the way now we can move forward with the others and I guess I say that because knowing the grip that money can have on us that's why Jesus said a whole lot more on that than any other topic in all of Scripture. Don't don't you think that would make sense of why he might do that? We can't know his mind for sure, but I would say that's at least a good guess. Let me mention a final one, Uh, another type of net, and that would be secret sins. Secret sins. You know, you put those two words together, it's a bad combination. It's a bad combination. For you, is it a preoccupation with pornography? Pretty widespread in this day and time. No longer limited to guys. Tragically. Tragically. Is it that quiet affair? Or that that, that's kind of starting to heat up a little bit? Is it that private life you live on business trips? Is it stealing from your employer? Is it something that you were hiding from your spouse or from your mom and dad, from your kids, whatever it might be? Secret sins. Whatever it is for you, it is a major snare. And choosing to drop that particular net may very likely require confession before God, confession before anybody that has been involved in or impacted by the matter it will likely, most assuredly actually, require giving up something that greatly satisfies you. All right, we've got to wrap it up. If we had the luxury of time, I think some of the um, areas that I, I would be prone to trying to float out there with you guys today would include uh, some of the additional nets might be uh, attitudes or beliefs about God that are contrary to the truth of biblical revelation in which as a result, they, they inhibit our growth in Him and, and they, they put a block on that path of our following because we're, we're believing something about the Lord that isn't actually true. It's creating a wedge in that relationship. Another thing might be A hobby that has become so important to us, Jesus is struggling to find a place where he fits in. Any one of us is susceptible to that. A net could be addiction of some sort. It could be some form of entertainment that we're we're engrossed in. It it could be undue concern about how other people view us. Unfortunately, there's no end to the list of potential nets. So please listen carefully as I wrap it together at this point. When Christ calls us to follow Him, He calls us away from everything that stands between us and Him. He wants to change our view of and our response to every aspect of our lives. He's looking for hands without nets. So He's calling us away from something, but hear this as every bit as important, perhaps more important. He's calling us to Himself. So don't merely—it isn't good for us to think merely of what he's calling us away from. I don't want to minimize that, but that we have a whole different perspective on that when we realize who he is calling us to. It is himself, and so following Christ is all uh, surrendering all that I presently am, all that I could possibly become through his power and strength. It, It is surrendering all that I now and ever will possess to the God who created, who owns, and who rules the universe. All right, so I ask you to please listen carefully now. Please listen more carefully. And there is no more after this. Trust me. Netlessness really boils down to a matter of values. Values, right? I mean, you know that. Do we value our nets more than we value the Lord who calls us every choice we make in life right graphic demonstration of the values that drive our lives so every time I refuse to drop a net whether it's to go to give to forgive to serve to love to help to to change a pattern of living because there's somebody or some thing that I treasure more than Christ. So every time that I refuse to drop a net, I'm telling Jesus Christ where he stands in my life. Our decisions about nets do reveal what we truly value most in our lives. Regardless of what we say or perhaps uh, have told someone else, when we drop our nets, here's the good part about it. Whenever you or I drop a net, we are saying, Lord Jesus, this is how much I love you. It really is. Summary statement is there. It's in your notes. A few more blanks to fill in. Hearts that are growing in love with Christ, hearts that are growing in love with Christ produce hands that are empty of nets. I'd like to lead you in prayer at this time. Father, we, we genuinely do want to engage fully in Your commission for us of making disciples. We know that it's more than just leading people to trust Christ, but also teaching them to follow Christ knowing that this necessitates that we show people what the life of Christ looks like in action. We plead with you this morning. We desperately need you to so mold and shape and change our lives that, that when we speak about the power of the Gospel with our lips, we also show the effects of the Gospel with our lives. Lead us, we pray, into a clear understanding of our hearts can grow in love with you so that our hands are willing to release every single net that we are holding on to or would choose eventually to hold on to. And through modeling the character of Christ, through speaking the truth of Christ, through showing the love of Christ, we desire to commend the gospel of Christ to, to people in our homes, our workplaces, our schools. In our families and with our friends, in our roles as husbands, wives, moms, dads, sons, daughters, employers, employees, teachers, coaches, classmates, business people, waiters, salespeople, business owners. God, please help us be a community of faith that saturates our conversations with your word wherever we go, with the result that we consistently see people trusting in and following after our matchless Lord and Savior. God, truly, this is a call worth dying for. And God, truly, You are a King that is worth living for. We pray it in our Savior's name. Amen.